Hello, Spacers. I'm Christopher Schmidt, and I'm talking with Singapore-based writer, freelance web designer, and developer, Zhao Lu. He is most known for his down-to-earth articles, especially those on responsive topography. Uh, some notes about where I'll be. Uh, responsive Web Design Summit, RWD Summit. It's a three-day virtual conference on web performance, responsive design and management, responsive images, SVG, and a whole lot more. You can ask questions live to speakers and your fellow developers, and you can refer back to the recordings as many times as you want, but you have to register. It's happening March 29th through the 31st. More information is at rwdsummit.com. Also, check out css.com. It's not just a CSS conference for web builders. It's also CSS, SAS, post-CSS, and much more. Uh, recently announced featured spe- speakers include Rachel Andrews, Chris Coyer, Trent Walton, Jonathan Snook, Estelle Weil, and Sarah Dresner. I believe we've had them all on the show, too, as well, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and you, dear listener, can be a speaker as well. We have a call for sessions going on right now. See more information at cssdevconf.com. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I'll try to be witty, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and, but I will give you lots of typos uh, if I don't make you laugh. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, and telling others about Non-Breaking Space Show on iTunes. If you want to be super chill about it, don't break a sweat, you have the show sent to your email box by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find show notes and links at nonbreakingspace.tv. Now on with the show. Now on with the show. Now on with the show. This is like my first podcast and really honored to be here. So, oh, okay. kinda, yeah. Well, thanks. Well, thanks so much. I mean, um, uh, you know, I, you know, I go through a lot of, uh, resp- responsive web design links or not response, but like just re- web design links for our environments for humans, uh, Twitter account. And I just go look through them and, um, because we, we post a lot of them through the week and, uh, I really enjoyed your responsive web design topography article. Uh, which you know everyone was also looking to, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, and uh, just really enjoyed uh, the way you went about describing it and talking about it, and um, you know, just um, um, there's a lot of great ar- other articles by respons- responsive topography that are out there, or right topography as well, but uh, it was always always nice to see a new uh, take on it, if you will, a new new person writing about it, and, and a really good detail too about it. So, but it's pretty good. So, but. Uh, yeah, so we're just really honored to have you on here. We'll talk more about topography in a second, but um, but one thing we, we always ask is uh, how did you get into web design? Like, what brought you into the web? How did you first interact with the web? And then what made you think about like, hey, I can actually start uh, uh, writing articles about topography for the web? Okay, yeah. cool. I think this um, I'm pretty new to the web actually. It's only been through about three years since I last started um, to code. Mm-hmm. I, only, I only did coding stuff about three years from now. So what came to mind when I first started was that I was in London at that time and joined a startup in the Accelerator program. And at that time, when I was, I, when I was at home in the middle of the night, it was like 
well, I can't help this guy do like the web stuff because I didn't know how to do the web stuff. I was a finance graduate. Oh, wow. And then, okay. Yeah. And I wanted to help my friend with like some of the app related stuff. So I was also interested in the design part of things. Been fiddling around with Photoshop once in a while. Mm-hmm. Not awesome at it, obviously. Then I was like, uh, well, I couldn't do anything. And I have been feeling useless for about six years before that. So, <laughs> so there's always been this, this little break, breakdowns when I had like once in a while where I cried about being useless and stuff. Then this just one, this is one night after a conversation with my friend, right? I decided to, hey, let's, let's stop being useless and then start picking up something useful. Yeah. So at that time, I started learning more about Photoshop and design like seriously. So oh, maybe... Well, like, what, what, uh, where'd you go first? Like, more like, like, like what, what resource or like what type I was of. At, I was at Cuts Plus for a long time. Like, when I started, I was always at Cuts Plus. Then that's when I started learning about. I remember there was this art, this video. I forgot who was it from, but it was about creating a, a website, right? Creating it in Photoshop and then building it in HTML and CSS. So that's where I follow because it's gonna, it's not, there's no point if I learn design, but I can't put it up anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my, my train of thought. So I followed that tutorial, went to Photoshop, design, followed whatever he designed. So I learned the techniques that he was teaching, then converted into HTML and CSS, learned some hacks here and there, like the line height thing for the navigation bar and kind of things like that, the vertical centering at that time. So then from that point on, uh, I think my next challenge was to code up something uh, similar to a website. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I used Touch Plus as my, as my um, trial. So I was flying back to Singapore mm-hmm. and during a, the, the flight, I was like coding all along, <laughs> trying to copy every single thing that Touch Plus website had. That, that was the old Touch Plus then. So it's not responsive. So it's a lot easier for me at that time. Um, so coding, doing the whole thing. And by the end of the flight, I got that website up. And it's like, oh, yes, I can do this. So that's okay. when I, I went on further after that. Cool. So another long uh, long flight uh, made you a web designer. Is that what? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, so after Touch Plus, like, like what next? But I was just interested, like what uh, what educational resources you used uh, since then. Like, like what you used to. Um, mm. what, what what resources do you like to go to now? What resource? I I mainly Google around nowadays. So when I Google, I just try to find articles that work. Usually, I land in CSS tricks. <laughs> if I'm if I'm searching for CSS stuff, and yeah. Just mainly CSS tricks. Other, other than that, mostly it'll be just plain Googling. Sometimes Smashing Mac, sometimes SitePoint. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. But when it comes to CSS stuff, I mainly have all the things in my head already. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I can, I can probably just code everything up without even having to Google. Oh, that's good. That's good. At least one of us yeah. uh, can do that. I, I, <laughs> I, I still need Google. And I've actually written books on it, so I saw these at Google a lot. So, cool. Um, yeah, so um, are you still a finance 
is finance your, your day job or like what's your day job or uh i'm a freelancer you're a freelancer, you're a freelancer. <laughs> okay yeah web freelancer okay been cool. doing it been doing it for about two years so oh, nice. after after i started learning uh 10 months later i started freelancing that's great that's awesome yeah cool All right so what has been your uh um i guess challenges in being a freelancer challenges well clients getting clients <laughs> yeah right. so I, i'm kind of like the the freelancer who has an idealistic uh, who has like some sort of like idealistic client that kind of thing so it's kind of hard for me to get that kind of clients but mostly uh, so far i've worked with development agencies that, that's pretty good for me so far the kind of clients i want is uh, like i want to design and develop for them so the whole experience of their of their website well but most clients they don't really well at least from my experience until now i couldn't find clients that allow me to do that or maybe it's just because of me right so that's what that's one part i need to work on anyway okay yeah oh, right well it's always an ongoing relationship with clients so it's always yeah good okay so um Let's talk about uh, topography and response to topography because that's what uh, uh, I really want to touch base with today. Um, I guess one of the things that we can talk about is just uh, kind of the basics a little bit, and because you um, you have some new articles on, on your site, and uh, what is the difference between EM and REM type sizes? Because because uh, EMs we've been around forever, and um, pretty much, and so what's what's the difference between REMs and EMs? Oh, I think the the main difference between REMs and EMs is that I, I tend to pronounce one of them as REM and M, so it, it makes it easier for me to say. So REM is, you can treat REM like a global variable when you're doing JavaScript, if you do, or, or any programming languages. So REM is, has always this um, fixed, um, fixed number that's inherited from the, the root size. That's why it's called REM, root, root EMs. So this number is from the HTML element. So what makes EM really useful is that when you have the size global things, like for example, if you work with type, uh, the particular rhythm, it's really useful to size it in, in um, reps as opposed to EMs. And EMs is just for local sizing. So it sizes according to the font size of its element itself. And that's, that's where um, most people get confused with EM because it's like one EM can be very different and in one component as compared to another component, so that's really interesting. Um, so I guess um, people can read more about that on my article. <laughs> it's, it's probably a better explanation than me trying to explain uh, over, like, over yeah. the air without like imagery to guide me along. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah, true. But, but yeah, but basically the, I will use EM for local sizing or RAM for global sizing. I think Richard Rutter has an article on this recently right. as well. So it's, it's a similar thing. And what I learned from the article was this, this is CH unit, which is interesting. So CH stands for character width. So instead of using EM, we can use CH instead to, to get this measure, the text measure. So the width of the text. Because one of the practices is that um, the text measure should be between 45 to 75 characters in, in width. So 
with when you're using EM, you have to approximate that by say one e, zero point five EM is about one character. Yeah. But if you're using CH, CH is the character width of the letter zero, mm -hmm. so you can just say sixty CH and it'll be sixty characters. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah so, so do you know what the support is for CH? Um, I think it's, uh, I did a quick research on it and I found on CFS tricks. So it's IE9 and above. IE9 and above? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty sweet. Actually, pretty good. Yep. Cool. All right. CH unit. Cool. Yeah. So you, so the, basically you just say CH unit for like 70 characters wide. Is that, is that what you, what you suggest? As, well, um, I usually do between, um, 45 to 50 to 60, I guess. Okay. 45 is a little bit too short, in my opinion. 75 is too long. Oh, okay. Yeah. So around 60 is the sweet spot? Yeah, about 60 is the sweet spot. Okay. And you probably just put that on on paragraphs and text of, of, of columns. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty good. I didn't know. That's pretty cool. I've, I've found articles about it from 2012. I didn't even know, know about it. It's pretty sweet. Awesome. Okay, cool. And then, um, yeah, because like EMs, like because you nest EMs and you become into a, a series of like, uh, like, you know, just you go down a rabbit hole because then the EMs, especially on like listed items, mm -hmm. they get smaller and smaller. You nest listed items with EM units. So, yeah, so REM units. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Awesome. Is there anything else about sizing of, of type that we should, that you suggest or? Well, there's one interesting thing that uh, I read about recently. So it's sizing a type with viewport units. So mm -hmm. VW and VH, right? So because REM and EM are kind of like the things that have been around for a long, long time. Um, then when I wrote about the responsive typography article, a few people told me about, hey, I, they were actually using viewport-based units. So VW for typography. And... Oh, that was interesting for me. So over the last weekend, I did some research to it, and that's going to be a new article coming up this Wednesday. So you're, you'd recommend using um, VW? I'm just trying to get like an insight into your article. Or, mm. for, for, uh, for sizing? or what's VW sizing is pretty interesting. I haven't really tested it out on like production sites yet. So mm. I think I'm still going to stick to REMs and YAMs. But I'm going to run a few tests here and there in the next in the next few sites that I create and see how that works out. Okay. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the interesting with VW sizing is that hey, you can set two two different widths and then you can get them to scale according scale according to you know like fit text. Mm -hmm. There used to be this fit text JS when you have like one big text and then um, it just fits across the screen no matter how big it is. So okay. viewport typography works something like that in a way. Oh yeah, it yeah. might be interesting if we are going to use something like fit text, but I'm not sure how we actually place out if we do work with body copy. And I I kind of realized that um, it's much easier to say use VW for the HTML sizing, and then inherit it with RAMs or EMs from then on. Okay. Yeah, then uh, that way you can do vertical rhythms and modular scale and all that stuff as per normal without having to go into a comic tape overload with all the VW calculations because that's quite complicated. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Have you used uh, percentages at all? Or yeah, uh, I use percentages in my HTML font sizes. Okay. I have no idea why I use them. I could probably use M, but <laughs> it just stuck with me. It's okay. Okay. 
as uh, I'm not really sure the proper. I can't tell you. I have to re, I have to Google it myself. I can't tell you if it, if people still use percentages for that. So yeah, for for even for like width reports and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Oh, then you have another article about uh, vertical rhythm, and I really like uh, your approach to that one because it's very kind of a the article about that one because I feel like uh, that one's a very kind of like nice, easy path into learning about vertical rhythm, mm-hmm. and um, actually explains why you know why why you need to, to do about that. But uh, do you have like your mix-ins already for like like a mix-in already set up for for using vertical rhythms and for all these you know shortcuts in your in your work? Oh yeah, I definitely do. This is like not easy stuff. Yeah. I used to use Compass Vertical Rhythm. I really loved it for a while mm-hmm. until, well, it didn't get updated again. When I created the responsive typography article, I got, I created a SAS uh, library called Typey uh, along with it. So the main, when I created that, that, that article and that library, the main use of of it was to allow people to create the font size and line height properties across multiple breakpoints, across multiple typographic elements, easily with SAS maps. So you can just have a few SAS maps if you are familiar with SAS, and then just add include typey and everything will be set up for you. So like all the media queries, all the breakpoints at the, at the correct breakpoints, and you can create a breakpoints map to store all that breakpoints. So it's easy for you to reuse them. It's like a config file rather than coding from that point, but well, that's that's the that's the general idea. Then after I've written about vertical rhythm, I kind of realized that hey, vertical rhythm is important. And well, instead of having to calculate like one point five em times two, one point five em times three, or three one point three three em times two, which is kind of like a weird number sometimes. So I had this. So I added this um, VR function inside uh, inside Typey. So how the VR function works is that it works almost exactly like uh, compass vertical rhythms, the rhythm function. So what you do is that you say margin colon VR1, then it'll be a vertical of one. And it automatically takes the base type map. So this in type you create a base map that says, hey, my HTML font size is supposed to be a certain font size, a certain, um, a certain line height. And then you can use that line height automatically in that calculations. Then I think there's, there's one interesting thing about vertical rhythm that I, I mentioned that we can't really use it. Uh, it we can't really change the fonts, like the line heights as we resize uh, at different breakpoints right now. Because, well, one of the practices is that you have to change line height, right? And you have to change font size. When you change font size, you probably have to change line height as well. So the, the trouble with that is that once you change your line height, then your whole vertical rhythm goes crazy mm-hmm. because there's no way to do it right now. And I actually discovered that you can use CSS variables to, to counter that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, so what you do is that you can do a root inside the root, create a CSS variable, create a media query, and change the, change the line height in that root itself, then use that variable somewhere else. But... Well, you we have to wait for support to catch up. Right now, I think it's in Firefox, and the next version of Chrome 49 will start supporting CSS variables. Firefox supports CSS variables, nothing else. Okay. So it'll be a while before that comes up. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. That sounds like a pretty, pretty cool trick. Okay, cool. So it's called uh, Typey, which is T-Y-P-I. Yeah. Yeah. Looks pretty nice. Awesome. I've been looking for something like this. 
yeah, vertical rhythm is very important. And so it's very hard, yeah, because 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 uh, it, it does feel like it's almost like building on quicksand sometimes with vertical rhythms because every time you try to get right. And I know there's like lots of online cal calculators that would to help you out, but when you keep on changing, you know your typefaces and everything like that, it just doesn't doesn't mm -hmm. seem to stick. So it's be interested to see. Well, it'd also be interesting to see when browser uh, browsers have variables natively and how that's going to just change everything mm -hmm. going forward. Too. So, so yeah, I think, I think with vertical rhythms, one of the main difficulties people have is when they have two different um, typefaces. So that becomes a challenge because it's like a, I have two different typefaces, but how do I match them together? So that is one thing. I, that is one question I got a lot recently. Like, because in my website, I'm, I said that I'm going to do a responsive typography course. And so I asked, what's the biggest challenge with, uh, with responsive typography? Some people are saying that was their biggest challenge. Some people are saying, how do I resize? How do I choose the correct font size, the line height? Oh, some people say, how do I make sure the headers look nice, even on mobile and on desktop? So those are, some of them fall into the algorithm, some of them don't. And even if you use the same font, uh, even if you use the same typeface for the article, sometimes you realize that it, when you combine modular scale and for the algorithm at the same time, you kind of have a headline that has too, lar too large of what leading or too small leading, and it kind of looks weird. So I think one of the practices I use nowadays is to change my leading into a line height, uh, into a unionless line height property. And then I let the algorithm be destructed. I mean, like when I went into the vertical rhythm article, the whole point of vertical rhythms is repetition. So as if you repeat it many, 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 many times, it's going to be familiar, right? So that's the whole point of vertical rhythms. And if there's, going to be slight disruptions here and there with the with the headings once in a while. Well, I don't think you'll have like 37 headings in a, an article, for example, maybe four or five. And that small little disruptions, as long as they're consistent with each other, it's pretty fine. Like in my website now, I don't I don't really care about perfect vertical rhythm because that's probably not going to be the the way to do it. But once we learn about how, hey, vertical rhythm is actually repetition, you can apply repetition instead of applying vertical rhythm. So that's, that's where I'm coming from when I went right into that article. But maybe I didn't go too far in. So <laughs> people are asking like, how to combine that. Well, maybe that's an example or something. Okay. Okay, that's good. Hold you there. Cool. And then, um... Yeah, well, it's, you know, with, with topography and the web, it's kind of hard just to, just because of the nature of everything being so fluid and then you put on top of that. So, like, you, know, you just never know how things are going to stick around, you know, just yeah. it's so fluid. So, and with, you know, you mentioned fit, fit text, you know, the plugin with that, you know, it's, it helps, it helps a little bit, but it doesn't solve. But there's, you know, there's so many other things to solve with, with topography. And so, so, so you mentioned you had, you had a, like a quiz or like a, uh, call for answers on your website about what are the the biggest problems that people have with topography, and mm -hmm. so it was like, uh, so I just I just want to re, re go over that just just a little bit just so, and we can talk about about uh, matching two different typefaces type was mm -hmm. one, um, line height on different devices is that that was one right? Yeah, 
and then are the other ones? Okay. Other, other issues that people said? Mainly there's three things I would say. Like, oh yeah, oh. people people are talking about choosing fonts, like typefaces, but that's not under the realm of responsive typography. That's always a big thing, like choosing yes. two different typefaces because it's, it's always kind of like in the eye of the beholder type of thing. Like it's also uh, very uh, uh, almost like a subjective thing to pick the right typefaces that work together, and, and so it's kind of hard to. Uh, I think number three was font sizes of the header elements. I have no idea why, but specifically the header elements mm-hmm. uh, across mobile and desktop devices. Gotcha. Okay, cross. Uh, and just basically just trying to pick the right sizes for for those, right? So yeah, I think like those seem like more like design solutions. I mean, I mean, you come up with general, I guess, guidelines for those. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that seems like what uh, you know frameworks like Bootstrap are about, and like trying to solve those problems for a lot of people. They don't have to deal with the solutions for that. So. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, if if I if we talk about typography, right, there's like two different groups of people that fall into the thing about responsive typography. Well, yeah. one would be designers, obviously, so like or, or developers who are trying to learn design, so try basically trying to make the site look good. So mm-hmm. they will have that kind of like designy questions related stuff. Yeah. Well, the I, other group, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, right. the, the other group would be developers, so like. How do I make sure I create this as easily as possible? Right. <laughs> so, See, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I appreciate that you have like design developers who want to learn about design, and then there's yeah. a group of people who uh, are developers who I think diplomatically want to just get it done easily. Yeah. Um, not that they would be actively against design, but this. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a very it's a very diplomatic way of saying they just want to get it done as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it feels like. Well, Developers, you know, I mean, like, because because we always see that. I don't, I don't want to rehash the designer developer debate, but it's always we, as conference organizers, we always run into, uh, and we we try to like, you know, we try to merge the gap, but we always we always see uh, a wall between designers and developers. I think it, I think it's a lot less now, just because of uh, uh, designers need to code more. Mm-hmm. Than, than vice versa. So, okay, so. Well, it's also because developers are more like accepting of design nowadays. Like, I, I think generally the, the agitation thing that's been going on around designers should learn the code, developers should learn the design, that kind of thing yeah. has been going around well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's I think good, that's a good site. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, design's kind of blown up. Like, if you're not thinking about design now, I think that's it's, it's bad if you're not thinking about design right now. So, cool. Yes. Uh, yeah, so what other challenges are you interested in besides the topography or, or are there other topography issues that uh, we, should, we should handle you or talk about? Mm, other topography issues? I think those are the, the, the main typography issues right now. Okay. The others, um, well, I don't really see any other things. Okay. But yeah, people always have a problem with like um, like developing, right? So CSS architecture regarding this kind of type elements. Mm-hmm. So not only type elements, but basically architecture in general, it's like how they write components that are reusable and, and modular and things like that. I think um, Harry Roberts is a good guy to follow on that because uh, he has really great uh, thoughts and articles that that affect how I that actually change how I code stuff. So one of his articles was to use namespaces 
when you write um, BAM style uh, CSS classes. Because like BAM is like just BAM, but when you have a big uh, web app or kind of things like that, you generally have things that are reusable. Some things shouldn't be touched, and well, some are just styles that uh, utility classes. Some are just like theming classes and stuff like that. So Harry actually uh, recommended that you split them into various groups. So like objects, uh, components, the what's that? Is the the state classes. So like as has shown, is shown that kind of thing. Um, team classes, layout classes, and stuff like that. So I, I followed that convention, but I tweaked it slightly because, well, I don't like to write so much class, so many classes. So my components, what, what Harry recommended was that component can be can have a name says of like C. So C dash your component name. What I did basically was to capitalize my component names. So it kind of looks like JavaScript classes. Um, so that's that's like a good a good way to to fold things together. Okay. Well, it's always good to have your own personal style to things too. So, add your own personal flair. So, are you like? Are you? It sounds like you know a lot more, a lot about JavaScript. Are you a JavaScript person first? Do you think, or, or more CSS or? Uh, I began as a CSS person, so okay. I, I'm still more uh, towards the design and development side of CSS HTML. Okay. But along the way, I've picked up JavaScript as well. Okay. So like. Basically, JavaScript isn't a problem for me. The next right. step for me was is more like doing React and stuff. Okay. So picking up React recently, building a backend on my own to host my books and courses, so it's easier for people to read and things like that. So that's kind of interesting. Okay. So what tips do you have for people to, who are designers just trying to get into more developer and to learn JavaScript and uh, and React? Oh, that's a really interesting question because there's like two parts of that question. Like, um, if beginner uh, CSS are going to go into the designers are going to learn uh, development, they probably should focus more on the HTML CSS aspect as opposed to learning about JavaScript straight away. Because JavaScript are like state enhancers and stuff, so you can start interacting with the site. But when you're starting with um, going to develop the designs that you have created, probably it's best to, to reduce the complexity a little bit more. So you create a static HTML page for a start. Then the challenge there is to learn the practices involved in creating a good static HTML page without any JavaScript. So that was how I started initially for a long time. I only created static um, pages. but I think I created two or three until you get to a point where you can replicate that static page across every device. So when I started, it was slightly easier because we did. I didn't have to care about responsive design at the time. But I quickly got into responsive design soon after. So then, if you're going to talk about responsive design, the main things to understand will be uh, media queries, like when to use min width and to use max width and things like that. A lot of people I see on the web still use uh, max width queries, probably because that's how Bootstrap and the others used it in the past but I generally recommend against doing so. I have an article on writing mobile-first CSS I think I wrote about a year ago. It's still pretty popular. Uh, so generally, you want to write main with queries so you go mobile-first. So that's that's how the, the whole thing goes. And sometimes you want some max with queries so you don't um, 
you don't encroach on other styles if you have a very specific case that is only between a certain media query. So the media query thing is one thing that people need to get up, up with. Then I think the next thing to do will be layouts. Mm, layouts for me, I toggle between Suzy and uh, Flexbox nowadays. And I know Rachel Andrews has this course on CSS layouts. So be interested. it will be interesting to check out if um, you're totally new with um, CSS layouts as well. Because I think Rachel goes into the very basics, like talking about position, like how does position absolute and relative or fixed affect your, your things like that. And CSS, there's a lot of weird languages like quirks. So you kind of have to go through it slowly and understand every single thing along the way. Then I think once you get the hang of like doing um, your responsive static HTML pages, then you can start moving on to JavaScript. Because from what I see is that designers have a, an eye for design. So when you talk about design, right, then you probably have all this responsive typography and all this, uh, uh, what's that called? The, res the ENs and RAMs and how they create it easily so you can do it across all devices. So that's in itself a, a very... Uh, technical knowledge that you can get into. And once you get through that, maybe you start JavaScript or something. But of course, along the way, if you say, this is good enough for now, I want to learn JavaScript, that's fine as well. So when I learned JavaScript, uh, I started with, I think I started with one of the, the, the books that people talk about. I can't remember what the name is, but I remember an article on JavaScript is sexy that says, this is how you learn JavaScript. And then basically, I followed, I followed the whole article all the way through the end. So I think there was a Douglas Crockford book that you're supposed to read. And that was for like ECMAScript 3. I'm not sure how people would start with ECMAScript 5 right now. If, it's talk, if you're talking about basic stuff, like how do you add classes, remove classes, and things like that, well, I... I still can suggest jQuery, but people are frowning against jQuery nowadays. So check out how to use... How, I think on a design perspective, you you want to add class and remove class, first of all. Then you probably want to learn how to add event listeners on scroll. So those are the two things you probably need. And then maybe... Uh, yeah. Yeah, those, those are the two things you need for designers. And... If you go further into the whole spectrum, then you probably want to start like, if you want to do start learning React, right? Um, a very good start would be to read, to look at the React videos. I think it was on Egghead. And right now, the whole React community is about Redux. And there's a good article on Redux and Egghead as well. Westworld has this React for Beginners uh, course that you could take a look at if you want if, if you want to work with ECMAScript 5 or, or E or, yeah. And, but nowadays people work with ES6 more than ES5. So I think West was uh, so talk about how to transition from ES5 to ES6 nearer to the end of his, his um, course. But I'm not too sure because I, I bought the course but I didn't really go through it that way. I kind of and then started Facing everything together myself. So, well, that, that probably brings me to the next point that I really want to emphasize. Like, a lot of people, when 
they go out and learn things on the web nowadays. It's kind of like, what's the fastest way I can get something? What's the easiest way I can get something? But generally, the best way to learn something is really to boil down into the very practical things of the nitty-gritty and understand what it's actually saying. So like the example of the vertical rhythm article I had was like, hey, what is vertical rhythm really saying? And then when you know what vertical rhythm is saying, you can like, okay, this is so important that I have to follow it strictly to the book. Well, probably not because the principle is repetition. It's not about any other thing. Well, then again, when you look at CSS and, and, uh, and JavaScript, you kind of you kind of need to start noticing certain things and certain patterns along the way. And that, that part of it is you have to spend time on it. You can't say, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to use Bootstrap and then Bootstrap will solve everything for me. Because along the way, I kind of have people emailing me and saying, maybe the best way to learn CSS is not to use a framework. And that's when they start, okay, I can, I can take control again over my style sheets as opposed to I need someone else to help fix it for me. So that's, that's probably where you need to start. Like, have the courage to, to get your hands dirty and go nitty gritty. So that's, that's probably the most important thing I, I would say. Well, that's a lot of great advice. That's awesome. That's yeah. really, yeah, that article I think is uh, what's called uh, How to Learn JavaScript Properly. Yeah. Yes, cool. It says JavaScript is sexy.com. Yeah. How to Learn JavaScript Properly. So yeah, so definitely it's a good starting point and to go forward. So that's a lot of great resources there. So thank you very much for that. So, but yeah, I think JavaScript is always very important, you know, for people going forward in our industry. So just want to see how what your thoughts were on that. So mm. cool. Uh, what other interests do you have, uh, or what's what any other passions about the web, or any, anything that's keeping your interests? Well, a ton of things. I guess I'm always like trying to learn new things. Yeah. So always failing at learning the new things. Like just just for example, for React, I've been I've been trying to learn it for about like a couple of months now. Just picking up and throwing it down again. It's like, okay, this is too hard. And then just picking up again at a later time. So some of the things that I've been picking up are like React, um, building some backend stuff. So generally, I want to move towards a full stack kind of thing because I want to make stuff. So not only the websites, but like maybe an app or full experience or something like that. So React, Redux, Express, uh, some Mongo stuff. And then if we talk about the web-related things, I want to work on my design skills. Well, going deeper into the different practices and then finding out how to actually use them. I kind of want to learn illustrations because I, I don't know how to draw. Uh, I can't illustrate, but I'm like, hey, I'm designing. So I guess this is one, one thing that uh, people who can't draw can take away with it. It, it's okay. You just have to follow the practices and then you'll be fine with the design kind of thing. Like if you look at our website right now, there's just no drawings because I can't draw for shit. So, <laughs> so well, that's, that's one thing, I guess. Um, drawing. Yeah, I also want to really go into the performance optimization kind of stuff. So like one thing that is on my mind recently is about HTTP2. I've already created a gulp, well, workflow that does concatenation, minification, and all that other stuff for HTTP 1 
and I also actively teach about God on, on those kind of things. That's my second book. But right now, when HTTP2 comes into the play, right, like things get different. There are a lot of articles talking, say, HTTP2 is awesome, you should switch to HTTP2. And my question is, how do you switch to HTTP2 in the first place? Like, how do you create the stuff? How do you make sure the browsers um, get the correct information that you need and things like that? So, well, because I don't have a very technical background, this kind of thing always come a lot slower to me. So, mm-hmm. going to have to spend more time on it. Um, responsive images, that, that's one big nut to crack. Recently, there's this thing called, um, I've read about called Cloudinary. They can help you create images of different sizes that can use that you can use it for responsive type, uh, responsive images. So that's kind of interesting to see how you can use it in an actual workflow. Oh, because I'm like kind of like the designer and the developer guy, I kind of want to make things easy to work with. So I always try to create workflows and make it automated. So I see how that works as well. And speaking of responsive images, um, SRC set is quite important. And if you have to work with older browsers, you can use Picture Field by Filament Group. Um, yeah, working with SVGs is something I I want to go further into. Yeah, I guess that's about it for now. Well, that's enough, really. If you think about yeah, it, yeah, that's, that's a lot. I still want I still want to learn about more about typography and how to like stuff like mm-hmm. too many things to learn. Yeah, I think you just pretty much give like a whole like laundry list of uh, <laughs> a syllabus for what is that course right there. I think. <laughs> But you've already like you, but uh, you definitely keep on publishing those great articles. I think uh, everyone will benefit from what you're learning, what you've Thank learned you. so far. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. So where can people find you on the internet? Well, my blog is at zellwk.com. That is z-e-l-l-w-k.com. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's zellwk. So my email, my website, and my Twitter account are exactly the same. Ah, uh, you're one of those people. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that's pretty nice. I, my name is Christopher, which means I everyone. There's so many Christophers out there. They don't. Uh, uh, I can't get anything original. So, yeah, cool. that's it's pretty cool that I I. I well, that's that's probably a fun fact that um, some people will ask sometimes. Like when I say my name is Zell, they're like, yeah. "Oh, cool name. Where do you get it from?" Some people will say, Duh. Dell, Dell, no, like Dell computer, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. There was a uh, a Georgia politician, yeah, uh, that was had named Zell. So I'm very, I'm okay with the name Zell. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, cool. Which, then, uh, which is, which you know, I'm not yeah. sure if he's from Singapore or not. Yeah. No, it's actually from a game. From a game? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Zelda, or is it? Now, Zelda is what people try to associate with, but Zelda is that ELDA, right? Yeah. So it's Final Fantasy VIII. That's a character called Zelda. Okay. Final Fantasy VIII. I will research that. I should should have asked you probably before we start talking, but uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Okay, so thanks for So uh, let's see what what type of things do you usually tweet? Yeah. I retweet the things I see on Twitter once in a while if I am active on Twitter, but. I generally don't look at my Twitter feed too much. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I guess I, I'm spending most of my time trying to learn new stuff or doing things, so yeah. I don't spend a lot of time on social media. But if you tweet me I'll, or if you email me, I'll make you a point to reply. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. That's, you know, I'm not trying to call you out or anything. I'm just saying. Nah, that's fine. 
Let's just, just I'm just being honest about the, the kind of way that I work. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being on on the show. I think you're the first one from Singapore to be here. So, um, so yeah. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Chris, for having me on the show. It's, it's an honor to be here. Like I said, it's my first podcast, and it's really exciting. Sweet. Awesome. I, I foresee many podcasts in your future, sir. So. All right. Thank you. Coming to you live from around the world. Nine Record Space Show. We named this show because we want to make it hard for you to find. We disguise it as a HTML entity. Only the resourceful, the trusting, the resourceful. Did I say trusting already? I think it's it. And resourceful, yeah. And the resourceful know about this show. Do not tell anyone, especially when you review it on iTunes. Just keep on looking the other direction. Just keep on looking. I see you. See you pulling up the browser. Don't you dare. Just keep it going. Think you're so cool. With your browsers, your Photoshop, and your Sketch app. Man, it's cool. So cool. All right, I'm out.